let's just lift our hands. Just as a sign of surrender to the Lord. And just, uh, I sensed uh, even as we worshiped today, there was just uh, an angel of healing in this room. The Lord is uh, healing somebody's right shoulder, right inside the socket. Just be healed. Actually, believe the fire of God's on it. You probably sense it. Just be healed in your right shoulder. Right knee be healed. Issues of blood. Diabetes be canceled in the name of Jesus. Someone here you have, um, I believe the phrase, what I just heard in my heart was just like a torment at night. And I just release a breaking you free of deliverance of torment at night. In Jesus' name. There's some sort of... Uh, I don't know the exact what it is, but some issue of the heart. I believe it's not just like an emotional thing. It's actually a physical thing. May your heart be healed now in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe there's a spirit of infirmity attached to it. So I just break you free from that spirit of infirmity, that generational thing. In the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that severs you. And we declare that your heart is made whole. Now, Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. And you said you would guide us. You promised us in John 16, you would guide us into all truth. So lead us and guide us into all truth today. Give your people ears to hear. And we've come not to hear God, but as you invited us to learn of you. So we want to learn of you today. Spirit of wisdom and revelation, we ask for it, God, because you said without it we perish. So we ask for revelation knowledge. I need your help, Lord. Put your words in my mouth. We ask, Lord, for words from heaven that change the earth. We thank you for the city of Morgantown, West Virginia. We declare that the purpose of God is advancing in this city. We declare that you're breaking open over this city because you're breaking over your people first, God. And I declare today, the part of the reason you've gathered us here today is that there's a divine marking for the purposes of God. There's a divine marking for the purposes of God. Thank you for all the gifts of the Holy Spirit being operation. Love you. Thank you for this assembly of people. Fresh harvest. Let it receive its uh, inheritance of a fresh harvest, God. Declare in the name of Jesus Christ that this group of people's greatest days are still ahead. And I declare the reproach of previous seasons is now being broken today. We declare now that this this hill becomes attractive to people who've never been here. People looking for churches. People that are not looking for churches. They just begin showing up here.
Sunday mornings, God. They don't know why they're here, but they're here to connect with the family, God. The name of Jesus. Amen. What's your name? No, no, no. Your mom? Yeah, Jessica. I, I, the Lord kept just bringing you to mind after I met you uh, this morning. There's uh, an unlocking for you today. And would you just lift your hands? There's a river of healing just flowing through your heart. There's a healing of your heart, and there's also a deliverance of your heart. And there's a angel Lord. He's got his hand like right on your right shoulder. And uh, it's like there's just this breaking you free of words, wounding words, hurtful words that have uh, tried to stop your joy and your destiny. And today, just by the authority God has given me, I just release an unlocking to you. And I declare that uh, you're going to reawaken a seed of righteousness in your family lineage. And I sever, in the name of Jesus Christ, your past from you. That which has tried to define you in the present will no longer define you. And the Lord says, daughter, keep your eyes on me, the author and finisher of your faith. And I promise to be your hope, your anchor, and give you vision for the future you never thought was possible. And now there's really cool, like you'd see like a stamp check. Jesus is stamping your heart. Hey, with hope, kindness, and goodness today. I don't know if there's something wrong with your back, too. I just saw like the fire of God just like move right through your back, through your legs, breaking any spirit of infirmity off you and releasing life. And there might have been some uh, weariness and there is a strengthening coming to you today. Is your daughter? Yeah. Can I put my hand on your head? Yeah. Don't worry, I, I stayed at a Cranberry Hotel last night. Not a professional. Lord, thank you for this just beautiful girl. And I just break her free from everything that's tried to stop the purpose of God, even at this age in her life. I release an unlocking today of the creativity of God. I release the ability to hear the voice of God, to see the face of God, and I declare that you're even marking her with Song of Solomon 8, verse 6, that you're setting yourself as a seal of love on her heart. So I felt from the Lord, and it's, I, I don't think it's been a really long time since I've actually touched on this subject uh, on a, what would be a Sunday morning. More time, we'll often teach it in a school uh, where I have more time, but he gave me unlimited time. So apparently if you finish before me, you're free to go. But uh, Malachi 3 verse 6 is a very interesting statement where God says, I'm God and I don't change. 
And uh, you'll see God's understanding of himself towards humanity begins in the book of Genesis and runs through the cross of Jesus and into the uh, what we consider the New Testament. And God, even in the what we call the New Testament, is not beginning something new. He is simply building on something he has already established in the old. And that's why I love the whole Bible. That's why Paul, an apostolic teaching, will tell us that um, all Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. Notice he says the word doctrine. He doesn't say, I throw it all away after Jesus came. In fact, if you understand who Jesus is, he... Uh, he came to fulfill that which God established and add to it. Notice he didn't say, I came to throw it away. But uh, Malachi 3 tells us, so the reason I say that, because we're going to look at some things here in Genesis 1, but here's Jesus, I believe, referring to the subject. He says in Matthew 13, 52, which many consider like kind of the, the Jewish gospel, uh, because he, he gives a lot of understanding that uh the Jewish context or the Hebraic culture would understand, which Hebraic culture is obviously the culture of Scripture. Every scribe and teacher of the law has become a student of the ways of the kingdom. Very important there, of the ways of the kingdom. And, and I'll just stop there because we'll see it in a minute. Uh, God never uh, gave to humanity a religion called Christianity. God never gave to humanity a religion called Christianity. He gave us a kingdom. In fact, God designed a kingdom for humanity, not a religion called Christianity. And the foremost subject of scripture and the foremost subject of the gospels of apostolic teaching was the kingdom of God. That was the foremost subject. Uh, when Jesus taught and preached. He always referred to the kingdom of God. In fact, what's very interesting, and I'm not saying it's wrong, and obviously you need to get born again. It doesn't mean you don't need to get born again, but you actually never find one phrase in scripture where it says that Jesus taught people that they needed to be born again. He taught surrender. <laughs> he taught surrender to what? A king and his kingdom. And I think he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to teach us that you can't, make, uh, you, you can't define what I'm trying to teach you by one moment. I'm trying to teach you how to live a lifestyle. In fact, the only time you hear him talking about this phrase of being born again is in a private conversation with Nicodemus when he dies and resurrects and he stays for 40 days. That's really cool. He stuck around for 40 days. He sticks around for 40 days and he talks to his disciples. What does he talk to him about? Get people saved? It doesn't say, it says that. It says he taught them things concerning the kingdom of God. When you read Paul, what did Paul teach? Paul, you, when you read Acts there as it ends, he said Paul would talk about things concerning the kingdom of God. So the foremost subject in my core conviction of the, of, of, of scripture is this concept of the kingdom of God. And we'll, we'll touch on it, what actually it means. But when he's become a student of the ways of the kingdom, is like the head of a household who brings some new things and some old things, but out of the storeroom. So he mentions this concept of both old and new. Obviously, there, there is a revelation that God gives through Jesus Christ, but it always builds on the revelation he's already given in the old. 
It doesn't throw it away. That's why even in again, Malachi 3 is a great scripture. Uh, when he speaks to Abraham, this is why, in my opinion, I know there's different uh, opinions on the subject, that God still has covenant with national Israel because he tells Abraham it's an eternal covenant. Should have said amen to that anyway. But, <laughs> but God designed a kingdom for humanity, not a religion called Christianity. And the kingdom of God is a creation of God himself. So what humanity desires is not on earth. It's found in God. So let's look at Genesis 1 where we see this. I, I call Genesis 1, 2, and 3 the divine design of God. Look at uh, Genesis 1, if you would. And we know that God spoke the universe into existence. And I always say he could have just told us once he spoke, but he illustrates this sermon in creation that again and again and again, he speaks, he speaks, he speaks, he speaks, he speaks. He's trying to emphasize something. When you see something in scripture over and over again, it's, I, I like to think it's legal one, if he said it once, but it's even, if, if, even more of an understanding is trying to get to you when he says it over and over and over and over again. God said, God said, God said, God said. He's trying to tell us something about his word. But here is, uh, here's the creation of man here in Genesis 1. And again, you'll never see this concept that God came to create a religion called Christianity. And this is the, the reason I say this is because, uh, it's really important to me, at least to our understanding, and I believe to our responsibility, not only to understand God, but also to correctly represent him to the rest of the world. That if you think you're supposed to represent a religion called Christianity, and God thinks that you're supposed to represent in a kingdom, guess who's not changing? And guess what's more attractive to people? The kingdom. Because they were created to live in that kingdom. They were created to embrace that kingdom. In fact, you'll see... Again, I, I, this might challenge some of you, but it's all true. It's all in the Bible. Uh, in Matthew 25, he doesn't say your, her your inheritance is heaven. He says your inheritance is the kingdom. He said, enter into what the kingdom that what has been prepared for you before the world began. You will go to heaven, but his goal is not to get you to heaven. His goal for you is to be like Jesus. And as a consequence of being like Jesus, you get to go to heaven. Again, these are not small little adjustments. These are actually really big because if you, if your life is based on simply making choices to get to heaven, then you'll live at the lowest common denominator. And if you think like that, you might not get to heaven. <laughs> like if you, if you're, if you're struggling, you know, to obey, you might not want to go to heaven because everyone in heaven's obeying him. <laughs> Think about that. Like, I don't want to do it. There's no choice here. There's only one way. I don't like the music's a little too loud. Well, you can go somewhere else and you might not like that place where you can go. There's <laughs> anyway. So <laughs> there's, there's no complaint department in heaven. <laughs> They're not like, there, there might be like a car wash or something for Americans where they think their opinion matters, you know, I don't know. So, so Genesis 1, then God said, let us make hum, human beings in our image 
to be like us. I'm reading out the New Living Translation. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human being in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I have given you every, every seed bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. Uh, I want to look at a few things here, but uh, in Genesis 1, you'll find out the specific way. I'm going to grab my water too. You'll find the specific way that God created humanity, and there are some specific things, some specific characteristics that uh, humanity was created to need to operate exactly as God intended them to operate. First thing you will notice is that in, in Genesis 1, that man is made in the image of God. That's not a small thing there. Image is uh, likeness, similitude. They were like they were like God, but they were not little gods. They uh, one translation for image, which is really important, which directly connects to our function, which we'll expand upon hopefully in, in a few moments here, is they were made in the image of God. A friend of mine wrote a book, and she she put in there, and it just always struck me. She said humanity was made with an aspect of God's personality. We weren't gods, but we were created to, part of our assignment was to represent God. Another translation uh, for that word image in the Hebraic language is, I always love this one, is a shadow. To see Adam is to, to see Adam as God created him, functioning correctly, was supposed to see what God looked like. And as we, we go through these things too, these little, these different characteristics of the different ways man was created, uh, I want you to note, and that's the reason I read Matthew 13, because we'll probably spend most of our time here in, in, in Genesis, is that everything that you see that God intended for Adam and Eve, and then obviously all of humanity, he intended he, uh, he intended for all of humanity to live this way. And everything that you see in Adam, Jesus expressed. Jesus was the first man since Adam to express God's original intent. The difference between, obviously, Jesus and Adam was Jesus never stopped being God. He was fully God, fully man. But we know, according to Philippians 2, he chooses to live as a man. If you want to see the humility of Jesus, check that out. In fact, he, he even he even references this one time. He goes, he goes, this, you know, I, I could I could end all of this. I, I, I would have been tempted to do that. He's fully God, fully man. And the difference, another distinction, obviously the God thing, but the other distinction is in the garden, God walked with man. In Jesus, God lived in a man. But everything you see in Jesus, God intended for Adam. Every way you see Adam living, excuse me, every way you saw Jesus relate, every way you saw Jesus walk on the earth, you, what you saw exactly what God desired for Adam to do. 
back to what we, we, we touched on just a moment ago, you'll notice that when Jesus dies, resurrects, and then appears to his disciples, you will, and he's going through walls and stuff, you'll notice that he didn't do any miracles. Why? He's not going to violate anymore. He's functioning as the Son of God, not the Son of Man any longer. Very important to know. So you're made in the image of God. Everybody's made in the image of God. One of the reasons why when we relate to unbelievers and when we talk to unbelievers or interact with them, one of the reasons why we should treat them with dignity and honor is because everyone's made in the image of God. Everyone still carries an image of God on the inside of them, even in their flawness. So everyone's made in the image of God. Here, here's a, a, another part uh, that uh, another characteristics, how God made humanity. They will reign. Notice in some translations uh, say, uh, I believe it's you, King James, says, let them. Notice that God did not say, let us reign over all the earth. He says, let them. Let them. Oh, you got it. Oh, this is I like this. I like this today. It gives all sorts of different traces. So he doesn't say, let us. He says, let them. So who, good question there, is... Who is given governing authority in the earth? We are. We are. Thank you, Stan and Paula. They're helping me out there. Let them look at uh, look at Psalm eleven for a moment. Look at verse four. The Lord is in His holy temple. His throne is in heaven. So where's God? Who does he give the earth to? Yes. Psalm 115, verse 16. The heavens, even the heavens are the Lord, and the earth belong to the sons of men. So we want to establish that. It's really, really important. Again, we're just trying to make these distinctions to realize what God's responsibility is and what our responsibility is and the authority he's given us. So God is absolutely sovereign, but he's made a sovereign choice to allow men to govern the affairs of the earth. It's good that we get that out there because God's often blamed for stuff he had nothing to do with. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human being in his, in, in, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. Now, here, here's another part here. You'll see that he creates them to govern the earth. He also creates them. Here's a really key characteristic about who you is. That's not good English, but I like saying it because it gets people attention. Every person in this room and every human being was created for transformation. Even in perfection, they were created for transformation. You were, you were, you were created to learn things from God for eternity. So if you don't like learning, notice, notice when Jesus taught, he didn't say, come hear me preach. He said, come to me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, what? And I will give you rest. And then he said, he didn't say, pre listen to me preach for two hours. He said, learn of me. 
The Jewish mind would know that because in their mind, they would never listen to somebody they didn't want to do what they were saying. To learn was to do. That's a little different for Westerners because we think we've learned because we've heard. To learn is to do. So you were created for transformation. He makes them male and female. Here's, here's God. You want to know one of the foundations for a healthy society. Part of the reason you see in mass, it's been happening for years, but particularly over the last, obviously, six, seven, eight, ten years, you see this quite attack on, on this concept of gender. Why? Because male and female is the context for a healthy society. You want to destroy a society? You want to destroy people down? You destroy that family unit of male and female. Now also notice something else. Part of the way they were supposed to govern the earth is through the family unit. Man was made in the image of God, but they were also supposed to be made in the image of their parents. So one of the ways young children, children in the womb, were supposed to learn about God was how it was modeled in front of their parents. Becoming a parent, uh, well, Ray, a father, but she, she's coming in July. One of the things that I observed from my own childhood of how I learned about the things of God, it wasn't necessarily my parents going, Abner, you need to read your Bible. You need to pray now. They just did it in front of me. So I saw God in the way I saw my parents relate to God. The reason we bring that up is because part of your discipleship process, if you came from a fractured family, by the way, you want to notice, you want to see Jesus even as the perfect son of man, John 8, he says, I learned things from my father. Jesus, I don't, I, it's really fascinating to say, Jesus was learning things. He was learning how to live correctly on the earth, even though he was perfect. Just like Adam was perfect and still needed to learn things from God. So part of your, your journey, hopefully you're on this journey to grow, to receive your full inheritance, all the things, all the beautiful things that God's made available to us, even here in this age, in the kingdom of God, often part of your discipleship journey is this, is to reconcile maybe how God was misrepresented through your family structure. Another thing you need to be made aware of, too, is part of your discipleship process, too, because God created us. What did he create them? He created them to be fruitful and multiply. God never intended them to die a physical death. So the generations from one generation to another was all supposed to be aligned with the Lord. So when that thing is broken, part of your responsibility is, as a believer, is to add to the righteousness of your generation, to break through into things into God. I don't know if you realize how blessed you are to sit in a room like this and quote unquote, a spirit-filled church. Do you know the first spirit-filled people in America or even around the world, they would, some, some social services in America, this is America, they wanted to take their kids from them because they thought they're crazy. And I could sort of understand it because, you know, you went to, you know, a church, Mainline church back then, it was calm and more liturgical and, you know, just 
heard him at. And you, you know, first Pentecostals walking, hmm, hey, and start rolling. And you know, you might think they're crazy. Mike, somewhat logical. We know it was the Lord, but you think not all of it was the Lord. But anyway, uh, the, the point being is look at what the generations have forged for us. Doesn't mean everything they believed was right. You know, some early Pentecostals thought they could just go to China and because they had tongues, they could just preach in tongues. They got that one wrong, but they pioneered a place for the things of God. Do you know, we'll talk about, it. here's another thing. From day one, Genesis 1.31, God said he looked at what he made and he said, what did he say? He said, it was very good. So human beings have been created to know that they're loved and affirmed. Every person in here needs love and affirmation. Every single person needs to know that. Constant affirmation you were created for. You're created for transformation. You're created to learn from your family structure the things of the Lord. But, but that's one thing I was going to touch on that. Do you know, uh, we, we know even among Pentecostals, you talk, I, I like to have conversations with lots of older people because I like to learn. And they, they would tell me, we were, we were the beat up kids in, in the body of Christ. Some of you know that. My mom grew up in that. They think that if they didn't tell you how bad you were, it wasn't service. If you didn't go to the altar and repent every Sunday, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't get it right with the Lord because you had to know how bad you were. And one of them, now there's more, but one of the people that came into America, the American scene, especially among Pentecostals, was this man named Oral Roberts. And what was he convinced of? How God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power. And what did he say? Doing good to all who are oppressed to the devil. So what would he preach? God, I'm feeling the Lord. God is a good God and the devil is a bad devil. Now, that's pretty simple, right, for us today. But he used to say, he said the tent, he had the largest tent back then. Second largest, excuse me. I think it was uh, Jack Coe stretched his tent four inches longer so he could say he had a longer tent. <laughs> no, it's a true story. True, absolutely true story. So he had the second largest, 20,000 people. And he would say, he said, God is a good God, and the devil is a bad devil. And, and he said that the average person, because that was, that was a blue-collar person, would come to Oral's tent. They'd go, yes, if you watch it. I encourage you to watch it. It's powerful. But he said, all the pastors on the stage, I felt like they were knifing me in the back because they weren't quite convinced that God was a good God. Why am I telling you that? Because we're talking about generational. They love God. It doesn't mean they didn't love the Lord. They love the Lord with all their hearts. But they were used to God beating them up. You're bad. Sin. Get the sin out of your life. You know. A lot of Pentecostals, when television came, they call it the hell-o-vision. <laughs> you know, we laugh, but that's what they thought. It wasn't that they were ignorant. It's just that that's what they thought. So truth, as it gets transferred to a generation, should grow and should be progressive and should, we should learn some things. So what I'm saying is we live in the benefit of the truth that came to other generations. So the point of that is, is in your life, you're supposed to be pioneering things 
for your family lineage. My parents raised me in the things of the Lord. Lord, I, this is the honest truth. If I would ever to serve the devil, it would not have been my parents' fault ever. I could never say to them, you didn't teach me and you didn't model this. I could never tell them you were hypocrites. What a, what a great testimony. With God's help, my children will be the same. I can't make their decisions for them. I'm going to tell everyone, you're going to make your own decisions. We, I, I never asked my parents, are we going to a service on Sunday morning? Now you think, that's just the way we grew up in that generation. And they were really like, we thought when we went to Disney World, we were getting a reprieve. No, they found, I remember the yellow book, the yellow pages. And they found the Assembly of God Church. <laughs> and they were really happy because they didn't have to serve. They were servants. They served. They go, oh, we don't have to serve. We'll just go and enjoy the service today. But your life is to add things. I encountered the Lord at uh, uh, 18 years old. And as the Lord began to unveil some things, initially my parents were like, we don't know. We don't know if we believe all this stuff you think. It's just okay. It's in the Bible. But if you have fruit, they gave me the foundation. I don't think I'm better than them. I don't think I know more than them. I just know I kind of have a little, the Lord's kind of tweaked some things for me. And they say, you, now as an adult, they told me, you, you've really made us think about some things and changed some things because We've seen the fruit of certain things that you believe. So your life is supposed to represent that generational thing. Other thing humanity was created for was the voice of the Lord. What's the first voice that man hears? It's the voice of the Lord. And what does the voice of the Lord say? It's not a small thing. This, is, this was not written by Kenneth Copeland. This is written by God himself. What do you say? Then God blessed them. Then God blessed them. What was God saying in that blessing? Man was created to live from a place of blessing. Not trying to get a blessing. He was blessed because of who he was and who God created him to be. God was saying, all my goodness all that I am, this is simplistic translation here, but it's absolutely true. All that I am to, all that I am, I give to you to be my governing ambassador. And one of the words, of, one of the translate, one of the definitions of blessing is an empowerment to prosper. So when people tell me, oh, prosperity, that's an American creation. It's not an American creation. It's a biblical creation. I'm convinced the enemy can't get, and he can't, can't keep you from getting born again. He'll create a doctrine that'll keep you from receiving what God has for you. So the first words they hear is the voice of God. Final thing you see there that man was created for, man, now, now, now catch this. Well, there's a few other things I'll throw in there, but they're created. And what, they, what does he tell them? What does God tell Adam? You are supposed to, you're created to have governing authority. You're supposed to take care of the earth, Adam. It's yours. <laughs> I'm type A person. 
I don't understand people like, they're like, God told me six months ago, well, go do it then. Burn in daylight. Go do what the Lord told you to do, you know. <laughs> Figure it out. I would have been like, I'm ready to work, God. What does he tell him? He tell, he rest. Man was created to live from a place of shalom rest. So let's go back through this. Some characteristics that all human beings need. We're made in the image of God. We may, we're made to be like God. Uh, a number of years ago, just to expound a little bit on that image point, is that years ago, I got this email from, my dad grew up in uh, communist Cuba, and I got this email from my, when my dad was a child, and uh, he didn't tell me it was, he grew up with his cousins and, you know, different people on this farm in Cuba, and so I don't have a lot from his childhood, but I looked at it, and he didn't need to tell me which one was him at three years old. I knew exactly which one was my dad, because I look very similar. So Adam wasn't a little God, but when you saw Adam, you were supposed to see what God looked like. Notice the example of Jesus. They go, show us the Father, right? John's a great gospel. I want to talk. I have some talks I want to have with John. And he goes, have I been so long with you? Then he makes this amazing statement. He goes, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What's he saying? If you've seen me, You've seen what God looks like. And notice the way that Jesus related to the Godhead. He related to him as a father. He's saying to us, the family unit that was broken in the garden, I came to restore all people who had broken families. That's good news. That's why it's good news. So you're made in the image of God. You were created for transformation. And knowledge. You were created to know the voice of God. You were created to live from a place of rest. You were created to live from a place of affirmation. You were created to live from the blessing of the Lord. And here's, a, here's another thing. It's not expressly found in scripture, but you do see it in the life of Jesus. You are created, and we'll touch on this in a minute. You are created to know that you needed God. You were created to know that you needed God. So here's that exchange that takes place there or the relationship between God and man. God created man. He gave him authority, but he created him to live from this place that I can be your source of all things. All you need to do is trust me, but you'll have to trust me. And if you trust me for all things, everything you have need of, I can provide for you and I can empower you to do it. But I can't do for you what I've asked you to do. He gave something else even more powerful than God's operation in the earth. It's man's choice. Can you imagine that? God gave man something more powerful than his operation in the earth. I haven't told this example in a long time. But years ago, I was in Moscow, Russia, Pastor. And during that season, a friend of mine, he was doing these mission training schools around the world. And uh, he's a 
Brazilian, lived in America most of his life. He's back in Brazil. Young man, young, really young apostle. And he told me, we're going to do these mission schools all over the world. And I want you to be the, one of the teachers in it. I said, okay. So we're in Moscow, Russia. And we were young, developing leaders. So <laughs> I say that because it'll, it'll make sense here in a minute. So he found this church in Moscow, Russia that would host our mission school. A little challenge. They weren't so used to the gifts of the Spirit. He felt like it would work out. I said, okay, whatever. I mean, you're in charge, you know. So we have people from literally all over the world, not a large group, but uh, Brazilians were there, different people. They're in Moscow. We're going to teach them. First night, I'm all excited because first session I'm teaching and you know, you could just feel the presence of God in the room moving. I said, all right, tonight we're going to uh, get ready tonight. I taught and you could feel the presence of God and people were getting healed in that first session. I said, tonight we're going to come back. I'll do some teaching, but we're going we're gonna to lay hands and believe for the power of God to come on you and uh, uh, just come expecting. You know, they were all excited. So they're all given. They're all in for God. So we do the meeting, you know, do a little teaching and then we go into a ministry time. And as my friend describes it, the Brazilians get the jumpy beans. <laughs> they jump and... God's moving, man. I, I love seeing, I, you know, I, I like all the manifestations of God. I like it when people like, oh, I don't know, I don't think that's God. It's like, it's awesome. So power of God's hitting the Brazilians. The Russians are crying. And so it's moving. But I noticed the pastor in the back of the room. He didn't seem too happy. I start praying. And he kind of comes up. And he said, uh, you need to stop this. I didn't stop the whole meeting. He said, you need to stop this. I said, stop what? I was playing dumb, honestly. Honorary there. He said, this is not of God. And uh, so I said, well, this is your church, sir. You have the authority. But I'm not stopping God. So I will yield the service to you. And he stopped. Boom! God stopped Everything could feel like choo, the grieving of the Holy Spirit. Now, the good story is we, we ended up, him and I, becoming friends and stuff. But what I'm saying is, he made a choice to stop something he didn't understand. <clears throat> Not casting a judge, but just, it's just what happened. Now, later in the week, they had a big elders meeting and stuff. and You know, they said, you're teaching... It's very biblical. We don't like what happens when you start praying. <laughs> it doesn't look like it's in the Bible to us. So, uh, so he said, you can keep teaching, but you can't touch anyone. So the good news is I humbled myself. I was okay, you're charged. It's kind of hard. So I would just pray. But God can move with any hand dealt. So he's healing people. And he, he, I was supposed to preach on Sunday at the church when the school ended. And he said, I don't think we're going to do that. So, uh, that's okay. And, but people began to come to him and say, I got healed of this. This happened to me. And eventually we built a bridge, but we have the ability to stop the work of the Lord in our lives. John 3 says, 
He whom God has sent uh, speaks the words of God. And then Jesus makes this amazing statement, John 3, 34. For God does not give the spirit by measure. Is he teaching us? He's telling us that the moving of the Holy Spirit is not a measurement on God's end. It's not like he goes, okay, I'll give you a little bit. You know, you're pastor in this church. I'm going to give this guy a lot because he's got to enter. No, the moving of the Spirit how much of the Holy Spirit you want operating your life is a choice that you get to make. Now, you can't define what it'll do in certain moments, but you define the flow of the Lord in your life. I see it all the time. I work with leaders. That's what I do. I, I see it all the time. They're like, well, you know, we, 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 we'll, we're okay with this. We don't like this. And, and I just go, walking with God, you don't really, you, as an American, you think you can choose, and you can, and you can stop it. But, Really, the will of God is for you to have an overflowing, constant flow of the Holy Spirit in your life. So those are some characteristics that we all need. And here's something else that is also really important. God there, by giving man authority, he made him his ambassador in the earth. And also here is also something else that is uh, uh, common to all of humanity. Everyone, 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 human being, every person in this room, you have a purpose. And your purpose is not small. That's one thing I really think about when I, uh, when I minister to people, often sometimes on a plane or wherever I am, unbelievers especially, I go, God, what is this person's purpose that I can call them into their purpose? And notice, because you'll notice most people, unless they've been talked out of it or traumatized or gotten a little older or gone to public education, <laughs> name the list, they're talked out of dreaming of big purposes. Govern the earth. That's your purpose. It means you need God, but God will do it. Who gave Joseph his dream? God gave him the dream. God would do it, but Joseph had to do his part. So you're, you're made to be extraordinary. I've probably, I'm going to underestimate, which is better, probably have prophesied to thousands of people. I've never prophesied to anyone. The Lord would say, be mediocre. <laughs> you can believe, you can believe God to get rid of the credit card debt, but keep the mortgage because that's, you know, yeah, everyone has a mortgage, you know? So it's always, calling people higher to what God would do. Even if it's corrective. You can give a corrective word, but still bring hope and encouragement and education. So God's purpose for your life, for it to take place, you'll need him, but it's really, really... I love watching little kids because they, they're still haven't been socialized out of thinking big. Oh, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this, this, this. They're always dreaming. Why? It's a human thing. It doesn't matter how old you are. You should have a vision for your life. You should have a vision for... And, and the things that you're believing God for should, should not be things that you can do in your own strength. I mean, this is nice. I, I know people have it, but this is, this, it should go beyond this. You know, sometimes I talk to people, well, what do you plan on doing this season in your life? Well, you know, I, I retire in three years. That's fine. And I, you know, and then I'm going to do some mission trips. That's great. What's impossible that you believe in God to do? 
Like you can do that by yourself. You know, you can go to the Elks Club and do that. Retire and go help people, you know. What are you believing God for? What do you want to see God do for you? Your purpose is supposed to be extraordinary. So what is in an ambassador? I'm glad you asked, Pastor. Everybody still with me? I know I've gone a while. Yeah. Here's how one dictionary definition is. In a minister of the highest rank employed by one prince or state of that court of another to manage the public concerns of his own prince state. Jesus, and this is not often taught, if we're talking about a kingdom, Jesus is a king. And we are representatives of that king. When an ambassador is functioning correctly, and I was in uh, London, I think the year, the, the spring before COVID. I was in London and went on this tour. And one of the things you saw in London was uh, on this tour, you saw the Canadian embassy. Okay. So Canada had sent an ambassador to the UK. If an ambassador is functioning correctly, they never give their opinion on anything. Or else you'll get fired. That's why when administrations change in the US, what do they do? They recall all the ambassadors because it's a different philosophy. It's a different way. And if they, if they ask, if they ask the Canadian ambassador, what does your country think of the affairs in the Middle East? He doesn't say, well, I think. He should say, the opinion of my nation is this. He was in one of the South American countries' embassy, and they could not get him, get him. Why? Because the laws of that nation, even though they were in a foreign nation, once you cross into that Canadian embassy property, all the laws of Canada apply to that property. So you were created to be an ambassador. Every person in the kingdom of God is supposed to function as an ambassador from a place of purpose. Americans, most of them, not you, not anyone in this room, work for money. Kingdom ambassadors are supposed to work from purpose. Gets quiet with that one. He tells us this when he talks about the kingdom. Again, notice he's always talking about the kingdom. He said, look at the birds of the air. They neither toil nor spin, yet your heavenly father provides everything that they need. And he says, he goes, these birds, they're better even taken care of than Solomon was. What's he saying? What does a bird do? Good question, Adam. What does a bird do? A bird doesn't wake up in the morning or on a tree, I don't know how they wake up, and go, what am I going to do to eat today? It just goes, I'm a bird. My job is to be a bird, and however this works, there's God who's going to take care of me. Your job in the kingdom of God is to do what God's asked you to do, and because you do what he asked you to do, you have a covenant with him that he's not only going to take care of you, he'll provide more than enough. A little different. Than Americans think. So this ambassador, this leads to something else. So however, whatever God's called you to. So you have all these different things that were, were these different characteristics that are important for you to consider in your life. If you're going to live correctly in this kingdom. 
do you, do you live with a sense that you need God for everything that you do? If not, then you just need to adjust a little bit. I remember years ago, I was in a fast, and uh, uh, it's probably one of the longer ones I've done. And I remember thinking, oh, i got a lot to do today. I remember thinking, I said to the Lord, I was in the bathroom, I said, I really need you. He goes, you really need me every day. I got it. See, when God speaks, he locates where we're thinking and how we need to be thinking. Word of God is a two-edged sword. Do you live with a sense of your need for God? Blessed, what, are the poor in spirit. What's poor in spirit? He's not talking about economically poor. He's talking about someone. True humility is the ability to recognize that you need God, but also recognize who he has made you to be. Humility is not going, ah, I'm just not worthy. That's, that's just like, it sounds nice, but it's, it's religious and doesn't produce anything. So do you live with the sense of your need for God? Are you choosing daily to walk with him? Do you live with a sense of constantly being affirmed by the loving kindness of God? Jesus, the perfect son of man. Again, He's reintroducing to humanity what he intended. He's baptized in water. Notice, John preached the kingdom of God. Jesus is about to preach the kingdom of God. He gets baptized. I believe one of the things he's doing is he's identifying with the message of John. He's saying, this is the message I came for. And what does the father do? He affirms him. I want to suggest to you, if the perfect man, the only perfect man, the only whole man perfectly that ever lived needed to be affirmed, how much more do we? He lived with a sense of purpose. What did he say? For this reason, I came. He lived with this sense. I'm, I'm God's ambassador. And notice this too. Jesus did not come. Listen to me. This is really important, especially for American leaders. Jesus did not come to fix every problem that existed in the world. That's really important. How many of there was more problems during Jesus' lifetime that he never even touched? So what's one of our, our, our main focuses then? Should be to learn how to discern, even though this is not, this is, this is God, or, or this could be a useful t thing to do, this could be a kind thing to do, but maybe I'm not supposed to put my attention on that in this season. Maybe, actually, it's been put in front of me to become a distraction to the main focus I'm supposed to be focusing on in this season. But your purpose is not secular and spiritual. We know that one too. It's important, right? The word for work in the Hebrew, again in the book of Genesis, the word for work is worship. The word for work is worship. So our, our life of work should be an act of worship unto the Lord. The... um. A number of weeks ago, this is pretty neat. 
I, uh, I had this Zoom interview, very brilliant man. And I was asking him different questions and he was, he's an academic and I thought it was going to take about an hour. And then I had, I had, I had wanted to spend some more time with the Lord, uh, that, that afternoon at a window there. So kind of was thinking about the rest of the day and, but it went long and I was just letting him talk because I was learning so much. And it was kind of like a hush after he finished giving me all his insight. And I said, man, I, I'm not going to have time for the worship. I plan to do this afternoon. And the Lord spoke to me, goes, what you just did was an act of worship unto me. Everything we can, everything we do, if it's in step with the Lord, can be an act of worship unto the Lord. Do you live with a sense that you're building a generational legacy in the earth? Do you live with that sense? Are you stewarding? This is the next thing you see. Look at, uh, look at Genesis 2. Here, we'll look at a few things and we'll land the plane here in a minute. Have you gotten something out of this morning? Yes. Okay. You're an attentive bunch. Thank you. Look at verse 6 of Genesis 2. I'm reading out of... Um, MEV translation. But a mist, oh, let me, let's start in actually verse four, be better, give us greater context. In that day, the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No shrub of the field was yet to, uh, yet on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprouted, for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. Notice that God does not allow any grove until man is put there. But a mist arose from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord formed, formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden in east, and there he placed the man and who he had formed. Notice he doesn't allow any growth until he puts man in it. So here's another responsibility that, that applies to us today. The first thing before Adam begins to extend the kingdom of God on the earth. The first thing he had to do was to steward what was already there. Are you stewarding correctly the things in your hand? Are you stewarding correctly the things in your hand? Sometimes people, you know, they just got born again or they're just starting on this journey of walking with the Lord. Like, I don't know what to do. I said, whatever is in your hand right now, do it well and do it unto the Lord. Well, I want to, like, the Lord told me I got to go preach. That's awesome. I'm excited. You probably are. But don't quit your job quite yet. Unless the Lord tells you. But I don't think he's told you. So here's what you need to do. First thing you probably need to do is maybe go in and repent to your boss because you haven't showed up on time for the last two years most of the time. And begin to become the best employee you can be at what God's called you to do. So are you stewarding the things that the Lord has given you? Are you stewarding the thing? Is, is this body, is this group of people, are you stewarding 
what God has given you because that is the place and that's the foundation to grow in the things of the Lord. Now you'll notice something else. Look at uh, 2 verse 10. A, a river flowed out of Eden to the garden and from it parted and became four rivers. And the name of the first is Pishon and encompassed the whole land. And Havilah, there is gold. The gold of that land is good, bedlam, onyx, and stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon and encompasses the whole of the land. And the name of the third river is Tigris. It goes toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth is the river Euphrates. The reason I, 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 uh, I read that is you'll see that God, in creating the earth, puts part of heaven in the earth and then gives man the commission to extend heaven on earth. Why do I read that? How do we know that's in heaven? Why? Read Revelation. If you're Pentecostal, you say revelations, but it's revelation. <laughs> and it's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and where else do we know is gold? In heaven. He said there'll be gold streets. So what does he do? He puts heaven on earth, but here's the important part to us. The, 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 the establishment of the colony of earth to be like heaven was not fully completed. And guess who has a responsibility to do that? We do. We will land the plane here. Verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to man to see what he would call them. Whatever man called every living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Also earlier, he tells him, what does he tell him? Here's another part of you relating to God correctly. You were created for transformation and you were created to receive knowledge. My people are destroyed. What? what? For a lack of knowledge. There, it's not just, not just an intellect. It's not just knowing something. It's prophetic insight. So without prophetic insight, the people of God perish. Man could not discover what he was called to be. He couldn't look in the mirror. Couldn't go, oh, I'm supposed to rule the earth. How did he have to know? Revelation knowledge. Only God could tell man what he was supposed to do. Only God could tell man his purpose. So you were created to receive information and knowledge from two different sources. Revelation knowledge. That's why Paul prayed for revelation. And by the way, you don't think from here, you think from here. The heart is the center of all things. Really, really important. Your mind and your beliefs only do what your heart believes. Your behavior is a result of what you believe. Your behavior is a result of what you believe. So that's why walking with the Lord is a great journey. Because uh, maybe you said something you shouldn't say to someone. And um, when you repent, you should probably just tell them, I'm sorry that you know what I really think about you now. <laughs> 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 
It's not right, but I'm repenting of it. Because if it came out, it's what you really think. <laughs> it's like people say, I have a dance in my heart. Well, if it was in your heart, we would see it in your feet. <laughs> the Lord knows my heart. Well, that's why he wants to change your heart, because he knows it. How do we know this? You've heard it said, if you commit adultery, you commit adultery. But I say to you, if a man looks, where does he in his heart to lust after a woman, he's already sinned. Because he knows if it's in your heart, unless you change your mind, you're going to do it. As a man thinks where? Not in his intellect, but in his heart. So is he. Guard your heart with all diligence. Heart's a big deal. So you're created to, re how, how are you transformed? By, by your understanding from God. How did it come? Through relationship with God. You were created for eternal relationship with God. So he told them his purpose, and then what did he also tell them? He gave them an additional instruction. Don't eat from that tree. Which also tells us God doesn't tell us everything we need to know in one moment of time. Even our understanding of truth grows as we practice that truth. How many know I can believe? I can shout, Jesus is a healer. But until I practice that truth, I know very little about that truth. So now he's learning. The other place he received information is the five senses. Just like God, you're a, you have three parts to you. You don't have a spirit. You are a spirit. You have a soul, you have a body. Your body is not bad. Your body is not bad. I know a lot of people, I have my stupid flesh. No, it, they're all supposed to operate together as one. How do we know? Why do we believe God for healing? Part of the reason we believe God for healing is if your body is out of alignment, it's really difficult to even obey God. So your body is not bad. In fact, you're not led by your body, but when you grow in these things, the writer of Hebrews actually says, when your senses, he actually says, your physical senses, when they're fully trained, they can discern both good and evil. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? It's a little different than your flesh is bad. Flesh is not bad. Your flesh is neutral. Your body will only do what it believes. That's why you've got to believe differently. You're not led by your senses. You're led by the Holy Spirit. But when you grow in truth and when you grow in righteousness, your body can actually make you aware of things that are going wrong. How do we know? You, you, many of us probably can testify. You're sitting uh, many times in the center. Ah, there's something wrong with something wrong with that person. What? What's happening? My bodies give me indication that something's going on with that person that I probably need to stay away from. That hasn't happened while I'm here, so in case you're sometimes people, so. Notice, too, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are never in conflict with each other. That's how God created you to be. Your spirit, your mind, and your body were all supposed to be on one page. Thank God he died so we could do that. 
So your senses are not bad. You just can't be led by your senses. Please, you, you, you have no need to pray in the Spirit when you leave the parking lot today. Just look both ways. Use your senses. Here's another one, constantly younger people. I love him. He doesn't have a job. You don't need to pray about it. <laughs> but the Lord told me, okay, if you want to take care of him the rest of your life, that's up to you. <laughs> so he gets quiet. These are just some common things we could do here. So we'll finish this here. How is the kingdom of God extended? You see a picture here in Genesis 2. God is always a source. He brings the animals to Adam. He's always the source of all things. But notice that God, some translations actually express this, that God watches to see what Adam would name them. And you'll notice that Adam does not stop to fast and pray about what to name those animals. There's a lot going on in those verses. I'm not suggesting I have a complete understanding, but I do know this. When you know someone, you can speak for them. When you know someone, you can speak for them. When you know someone, you can speak for them. Those animals do not know if it's God's voice or Adam's voice. They just know that's the word of God and I'm supposed to follow the commands of that word in the earth. Paul would later write, creation longs and what groans for the appearing of the sons of God. Why? Because they know when they hear people operating correctly, they're supposed to respond to those voices. Notice the pattern again of the book of Genesis. God speaks, 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 God speaks. Now who's speaking? Adam is speaking. He's not a little God, but he's made in the image of God, operating under God's governing authority and speaking words from God. How do we know those, those, those words were much more than just words? Because biblically speaking, when you name something, you help prophesy its characteristics. That's why everyone should know their name. So the earth functions extending the kingdom of God when God's people live from a place of relationship, of being governed by his voice, and then acting on the truth that God has. Maybe we'll get into it tonight, but you'll see how that kind of gets disrupted when we start believing the wrong thing. But God gave us a kingdom. God didn't just give us a new nature. He gave us a new way. You were created to hear things from God that you've never heard before. Adam had never named animals before. What qualified Adam to name animals? God gave him governing authority. Yeah, rhinoceros, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who would? Rhinoceros. Yeah. 
And he definitely probably thought the cats were from hell, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was worried. He knew dog. That's why a dog became man's best friend. But out of the cats, he was a little concerned. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure you made that, God? So, yeah, they don't care. They're not loving. They need inner healing. <laughs> yeah, all the, and all the cat lovers give me feedback. <laughs> yeah. We know these things. Yeah. But you'll, you'll see something that Adam, when functioning correctly, he just simply trusted God. He simply trusted God. And the way he viewed God and Eve were perfectly in alignment. God gave us a new nature, but he also gave us a new way. And I believe that we're in a season in the earth, and obviously it doesn't go beyond the written word of God. That's our standard. But God wants to release understanding to his people that we have not known. And God's word to us is what qualifies us to do what God's called us to do. What, what qualifies me? What qualifies anyone to preach the gospel? To that be part of your purpose in the earth? It's not that hands were laid on me or they have a certificate. It's that God called me. God's word is what qualifies you to do what God called you to do. You could... You could be um, called to preach, but you also could be called to start a business. You could be called to start a school. You could be called to do whatever, God, but whatever he called you to do, it'll probably be impossible. I know it will be impossible without God's help. So I'll land, I'll land the plane with this story. I've been trying to land the plane for a while, but it's okay. No time limit. Yeah, just keep circling. Keep circling. I saw there's an airport not too far from here. Uh, I was in um, Switzerland, I think about three years ago, and uh, it was the first time I was there, and we were going to have a, a meeting, and people from different, not a big meeting, but people from different parts of Europe were coming, and a really close friend of mine was there with me on this trip, and his wife, and he was going to help lead worship that night with the team. I like percussion. I like the box. I like, I just like messing around with it. I can't play it, but well, for the moment I can. And so I was playing the box and the meeting was about to start. And I don't play the box with the team, nor had they invited me, which is probably a good thing. And I heard the Lord say to me, I want you to play the box tonight. I said, Lord, I don't play the box. He said, I want you to play the box. I don't play the box, Lord. I don't play the box. So then he always gets me with this one. I thought you told me that you would do anything I asked you to do ever. Are you going to do what I asked you to do? Right, boss. Got it. So I start playing the box and singing. 
It's horrible. Probably the singing and the box, but more the box. And I said, God, this is not good. I'd like to be invited back to this country. And he said, I didn't tell you to sing. I just told you to play the box. That's what he told me. That's exactly what he told me. So I start playing the box. And it starts flowing, baby. I mean, it starts rolling. I'm not exaggerating any bit. I mean, God, the band follows me. It's really powerful. They still actually talk about that meeting that night of the things God broke through. There's a lot of leaders and just defined things for a lot of people. And they still remember how God ministered to people. And so after the meeting, I was there and the leader said, that was amazing. I said, yeah, I've never done that before. She said, oh, we thought you did it all the time, the way you were playing. So we just followed you. God will make you look smart. He will. You want to be smart? Talk to God. I'm serious. You want to be wise at something? Talk to God about it. Then sometimes he'll tell you, he's like, I didn't, I didn't ask you to do that. I asked him about certain things. And he said, I, I don't want you to mess with that. Okay. So my friend was there. He he was a uh, actually telling these guys he's a worship professor at Elam. He's done worship for years. Tremendous worship leader. One of, you know one of the signs of growing in maturity is the ability to be self-aware. So I wanted to ask him. You know you don't want to make this up in your mind. I said, I said John, I think, that was awesome. I've never seen you do that before. I said thank you Jesus. He knows about worship. You know somebody knows about worship. So I went back to my hotel room that night. We had to fly somewhere the next day. I was tired. Always learn from your experiences in God. Always inquire of the Lord. I've learned to ask God things. And I said to the Lord, I said, what was that all about? What, what, what are you trying to teach me? He goes, anything I tell you, you can do by faith. Anything I tell you, you can do by faith. So what qualified me to play the box that night? God told me I could. Some of you need to rethink some things that God has asked you to do because you don't think you're worthy. You know, sometimes too, when God asks us to do something, you know, he, he knows who you are, right? <laughs> like sometimes we don't think he knows us. Sometimes when he asks us to do stuff, he... uh he knows what's going on on the inside of us. And he's actually, when he speaks things to us, he's trying to invite us into a place of healing in our hearts. Remember Moses? Born, lived in royalty, kills somebody, murders him on the backside of a desert, sees a bush, God talks to him. I mean, people think they like prophecy. That was a good word. He goes, I'm the God who hears. I'm the God who answers. And by the way, you're going to be my spokesperson of deliverance. You're going to be on TBN, man. You got it. That wasn't his reaction. Yeah. What's happening? His own internal pain. His own insecurities are now still coming up. 
You know what I've learned? Faith is often what you believe God will do for you. Identity is what you believe God can do through you. So often, it's not like a bad thing. It's like a divine exchange. Why, why don't I think I can do this? What is the trauma that God wants to heal here? He did set you free. But often you've got to apply his healing power to walk out that freedom. Another mark of maturity is the ability to identify when you have trauma that needs to be healed. A religious spirit will tell you you're fine. I've been born again for years. I pray and tell you. That doesn't mean anything. <clears throat> right? Peter? Hearing the voice of God doesn't make you immature either. Just means you heard the voice of God. Peter, right? Peter, who do men say that I am? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Who do you say that I am? Christ, the Son of the living God. What does he do? Hits it out of the park, right? He's in Jesus Christ, school ministry, hits it out. God! What does he say? You have revelation knowledge. This did not come from a soul or man. This is actually a true statement. Very next statement, because I've learned this is what's like walking with Jesus. 20, 26 years now, going after him. I'm still learning. He starts going, the son of man is going to suffer many things. See, he'll constantly say stuff to you that you need to adjust to. And he goes, and Peter's like, no, 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 Jesus. I heard the sermon. Take up your sword. The kingdom of heaven suffer violent. This can't be. This can't be. What did Jesus tell him? One place he's like aligned with God. Other place who's he aligned with? This doesn't mean he's possessed. He's just saying, your thinking right here is demonic. You're thinking about revenge. You're thinking about a political kingdom. Your thinking's incorrect over here. So the truth is, we could be really strong in one area and really need some healing in another area. I know this biblically, and I know this working with leaders. And I just kind of laugh sometimes because I realize my own need for God, but also go, they're like, you don't understand, I got a healing ministry, I got a prophetic gift, I'm amazing. I say, I know you are, but you got some trauma that needs healing over here. That's all true. You're an amazing apostle, you're an amazing prophet, you're awesome. All your partners love you. But your kids don't like you because you're not a good dad. So let's work on that. Lord, thank you. Hmm. If you just receive this word, why don't you just stand to your feet, if you would. <clears throat>